welcome to the Renegade Yogi podcast experience. Join myself, Sorananda, and this episode's guest as we explore yoga in the modern world. Prepare yourself as we will experience yoga like never before. Swapcast Occult 45 and the Renegade Yogi Podcast Experience. We have Yogi Zorananda and Evan D in the house. What's up? Yo. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Um, uh, I've been just doing like solo podcasts for the last um, month. And yesterday I had kind of my first guest of the month. And now you're the second. So it feels good to be back into interviewing people and um having conversations um yeah i'm doing all this by myself as like i'm sure you are too so there's this um i feel sometimes there's like a pressure in like reaching out to pre people and like trying to get guests and stuff like that so i know personally for me it's just something that i need to get over um yeah i don't know how do you feel like um you deal with that just like you know trying to find people and communicating you know a lot of that is um these past shows that i listen to if it's a particular episode a guest that i really like i'll figure out a way to get in contact with them and i'll just send a little email you know let's let's do a podcast and sometimes they get back to me you know that's how that's how when i did the flat earth episode with david weiss that's that's pretty much how it went i just reached out to him and he said let's do it so yeah, man, reaching out to people—it's uh, it c- it can be a pressure. I could see how that a lot of people get tripped up with that. Um, like, oh, what are they gonna say and all this stuff? But uh, yeah, man, I just kind of make a list like future guests that I want to have on, and I'll reach out to them in emails, and then whoever gets back to me—that's pretty much how I've been booking the the guests. Nice. Yeah, and that's that's what I um like figure inside my own mind is that um uh, people generally are good, you know, and people are generally enthusiastic about, uh, wanting to be interviewed and stuff. And so that's what I'm like paving forward with. Um, and I know, um, like, it seems like my podcast is, is pretty niche because of of how it's like yoga related. But what I try to do is, um, broaden, who it is that I would want as a guest and kind of like interweave yoga into it to see that um, generally we have some kind of spiritual practice or we have some kind of spiritual leaning that um, we're developing in our life in some way. And, and that's how I like to kind of like um, uh, weave it all together so that it's relative in some way. Um, because I think even just in the day and age that we're in now with the internet and what's available and information, 
it's really easy to find whatever you want right and then you have like your own discernment on what it is that um and who it is that you're listening to to get that kind of information so um yeah it's just like what i like to keep in mind for the most part yeah for sure man for sure um yeah uh the yoga thing is really interesting to me though um i haven't done much yoga but i would i definitely want to get into it more um you've been doing it for quite some time huh now yeah i started in 2010 and that was like um just like the very basics of you know going to yoga studios but um prior to that i already had a few years of diving into occult material and meditations and um just like esoteric things so i prepared myself mentally and i found that what was kind of missing in the um in the picture of why i was searching out spirituality was this like practical element of what i um what i explore with breathing techniques and asana and stuff like that so um, that became the primary part once I started doing yoga. Um, but the kind of like esoteric, you know, mystical studies was still largely there. And now I find that they've like bridged themselves together and that uh, my kind of comprehension of what it means to be spiritual um, is somewhat i hope to be like well-rounded and um yeah and it's it's done a lot like when you think about yoga and you look at it in like the mainstream kind of commercial way it's actually unappealing right like you look at youtube videos and you look at instagram and stuff and it's just like if you find a yoga practitioner and you look at their Instagram, it's just like the same pictures over and over and over and over again. And there's really no depth to it. And you're like, well, like, okay, that's cool. Like that's, you know, but, um, so I, I find that like I was fortunate to not be predisposed to that and to be introduced to yoga, um, through like one-on-one -on -one contact with people and to, find teachers who have had been doing it for decades right and had um, a wealth of knowledge of history of the practice rather than like you know an influencer or some bullshit right so <laughs> right on so yeah man uh these these chakra systems in the body are um they've been written about for a long long time um and these energy centers meridians are chakras and meridians the same thing um no so um in kind of like yogic terms the meridians are called nadis and the nadis are this like they're almost like the nervous system of the energetic system of the body or of like the astral body um and so what you'll have is that um there's this attempt to bridge the nervous system with the nadis, but the scientific community does not like that at all because the nadis are more of a hypothetical representation where the nervous system is obviously physical. Um, so the chakras are these um, like wheels of energy that are basically portals 
for particular levels of consciousness. And so when you start from the bottom and move your way up, you're starting with the most dense um, kind of conceptualization of what our desires and what our motivations would be. So say if you started with the root chakra, the most basic desires and motivations are like survival and security, uh, making sure you have food and water and shelter and that you have a strong connection with your family and um, your ancestry. And then um, as it moves up, it starts to introduce new ideas and new concepts psychologically that shapes the kind of uh, diversity that we have within us of our motivations to live right so you go to the second chakra it's now about pleasure and society and how you fit into the mold so like the drop of water in the ocean right so even though you're an individual you're still a part of this ocean and then you move up to the third it's now about fire and individual drive so now it's like your own flame and how are you catering and concentrating your own fire the fourth is the heart and the openness into air and into unconditional love. And then that is the gateway into the spirituality of the upper chakras. So now you're moving away from elements. You're moving away from humanity. You're going into like your cosmic sense of your higher self and moving towards beyond. And to me, I've, I've learned to approach the chakras in less of um kind of less of a literal way of how to like clear them and how to align them and how to balance them. And as more as guidelines of representations of psychological um, aspects. And so that when you're navigating through the ideas of the chakras, you use them to relate to what's happening in your life and how you can adjust things in your life. So Say if um, the root chakra is saying, you know, you want to have a strong relationship with your family and your ancestry and you want to be grounded in your life so that you can have food, shelter and water. OK, so then you look directly at your life and you say, OK, what is my relationship to my family like? Do I have a connection to my ancestors? Do I know anything about my ancestors from my grandparents back to my, you know, wherever I'm originally from? Um, and then you look at where you're living and what you're doing, right? So then the mundane world um, needs that energy of support. So you look at like, hey, what kind of job do I have? How am I fulfilling my basic needs? And so when you look at it more of a practical way, then it's less about this like wheel of energy and this symbol. And it's more about the application of that psychology in your life. And then when you move up through the chakras, you start to see how there's a bigger and bigger picture of the kind of like cosmic energy that's involved in the play of all that. And so um, we can get stuck in staying in those like levels of psychology, right? So you can kind of develop greed around protecting your family. Like I only care about my family. I don't care about anyone else, you know? Everyone else can go to hell and my family is the only important thing. So, yes, you want to protect your family, but then in the next chakra, it's all about the rest of the world. And so if, if you're not open to how you are a part of the rest of the world, 
that's where like that blockage is but you it's more of a psychological block than like an actual like chakra block um if that makes sense yeah def that definitely does make sense putting it like that um so talking about the kundalini energy where where does that fit into to this i know it's at the base of your spine mm -hmm. coiled coiled at the base of your spine um, i'm just asking because like that's really before i started going deeper into these realms that's really how i got started in all this i had a a pretty intense kundalini uncoiling if you will um i was still using substances uh chemical drugs pretty heavily and i was just asking the universe to help me get off of these things and this is pre pre mexico like before i went and did ibogaine and smoked five methoxy this is before all that um i put on kundalini uh meditative music and i'm laying in my bed just like meditating and i my whole entire body starts vibrating and i'm like coming off the bed and i was just like it shocked me a lot i was like wow i was not expecting it to be like that and then a few months later i'm in mexico doing ibogaine and smoking toad venom so it <laughs> definitely definitely had something to do with uh how we got here you know yeah well <clears throat> i think you can like personally for you right and it makes sense for me because i've had these experiences as well so even though it is um anecdotal in nature um there is a correlation between that event like in your room in the meditation and the travels and the sudden like lifestyle change that happens and um what i've realized in in like the kind of totality of my practice and what's happening physiologically is that um meditation is meant to um, divert the energy from your peripheral nervous system so all the nerves in your arms and in your legs and it's meant to direct it into your spine and so what i think the kundalini awakening or the kundalini rising is is that all of that energy from your nerves that are typically flowing out through your limbs and then off gassing you know like we have this electric magnetic field around us that there's something that switches that flow inwards and into the spine and it starts at the base of the spine and the pelvis and it concentrates there and then it gets to kind of like a critical mass of concentration where that center and that area can't hold it anymore and it just shoots up the spine and so then the um, side effect is going to be that kind of like convulsion um, throughout your body, right? And it's totally different. And that's why it, you can feel it so much more drastically than if you're just kind of like right now, we have energy flowing through our nervous system, and we can't tell, right? It's in a kind of like neutral homeostasis, where something like that, that concentration is so potent. And as it shoots up the spine, we noticeably feel how it's affecting the rest of our body and how it's moving up. And that's where I think um, as that kind of energy sh uh, sur surge goes up into the brain, it changes things neurologically. And it, so it opens up new parts of the brain so that you can then have new experiences. Because if you didn't do that prior 
to going to Mexico, that probably wouldn't have happened, right? Because you literally need a new space in your brain for that new experience. And you need something to justify that. And you need to make decisions leading up to it. And that's all part of it. So like that burst into your brain opens something up. So then you can plant the seed in that part of your brain to say, hey, I need to like make some changes and what am I going to do? And the communication that's happening through like your higher self and coming back down is like, we got the perfect place for you to go. And then suddenly, you know, you're just living your life again. You made this huge decision and then all of a sudden all these opportunities come out of nowhere. And it's like, hey, you got to go to this place. Got to do Ibogaine. Got to do this like 5-MeO-DMT. And then suddenly, you know, you're now in a whole new state. You're in a whole new way of living. And it's all facilitated from just that like one moment of that awakening. And so what I try to tell people is like, this is all normal. Like it's, it's not something to be so weirded out by. It's not something that you have to like, um, like, I don't know, like where it's, there's like a paranoia around it or something. Once you just like level out and you're like, Oh, this is just how the body works. And this is just what happens when I deliberately choose to change my life is that then there's going to be this side effect of an energetic surge. And that's for me, like everything that I explained right then is from years and years of practicing yoga that has led me to the point to like articulate it in a way that can make sense practically and it's not in the realm of any like woo woo, you know, it's not like, oh, the divine grace of Shiva has come into you and is awakened. Like, OK, that sounds nice, but that, that doesn't make sense. You know, like what's actually happening physiologically. And um, for me, it's taken a long time to get to that point. And um, and that's what I feel like my duty is to like to be helpful for people so if someone like you who's gone through that that's like you know i don't know what's happened it's like well maybe it's this and um and then you know i just kind of let it be after that because i think there's a slippery slope of kind of taking control of other people's narratives like that's the thing too is like i don't want to be the one that's like inadvertently brainwashing people to think a certain way (laughs) Well, yeah, man, that is why you are the renegade yogi, man. I mean, that what what you just said there helped me understand better of leading up the the months leading up to what I went through, you know, that opening in your mind to be receptive of a new lifestyle change. And uh, I, I really did want it and I got it in a big way. Um, so, yeah, I did have that kundalini um awakening experience that was very intense um and then yeah fast forward a few months later and i'm i'm flying to mexico to do an ibogaine ceremony and uh you know that was a life-changing uh week for me i mean that was three it was three years ago now and um it life has just been awesome and a lot a lot easier since then. Uh, March 19th will be three years since I went and did that. And yeah, man, that was a life-changing week down there. And then after I did the Ibogaine, 
40 hours after that, I, um, I smoked the five MEO DMT and that just closed the circle for me and really put me on the right path. And I just left that whole other side of me behind. Like it was just erased from my being that, that day. And I'll never forget that ever. It was a, it was a powerful experience, man. Yeah. And the cool thing about, um, like the era that we live in now is like that kind of, um, uh, like life changing opportunity in the past, like when you look at yoga scripture and you look at say, um, works from yogis from like the 1500s and 1600s and, and like that far is that there was no account of anything like that really where their account of some profound insight or some profound um, enlightened like moment happened from like years of practice you know like where um, like example um, Paramahansa Ramakrishna he's like this yogi from the 1800s did a like 12 year sadhana every day, hours a day, practicing, practicing, practicing. And like he was devoted to Kali. And the story is that he did his 12 years of sadhana and he was on his last day of his practice. And he was like at the foot of this like massive Kali statue. And he's talking to Cal and he's like, this is my last meditation. If you don't like come to me, if you don't show me yourself, then I'm killing myself. Like I'll take the sword out of your hand because they have like this like massive metal sword. Right. He's like, I'm just going to kill myself. Like this is how serious I am. And he like did his whole meditation in sadhana and nothing happened. And he just like got up in a rage and went and reached for the sword and Callie moved. And the statue moved and then came alive and then took him like into like whatever into his enlightenment. And then hours later, his disciples just found him passed out on the floor. And um, and that's where I think that like what had happened to him was like a self-induced like psychedelic trip, like his own like endogenous DMT trip where the like the onset of like seriously killing himself, like triggered something in his body. We're like, Oh shit, we're going to die. So I got to release this DMT or something. And so where fast forward to now, and we have the availability of these substances, um, so readily available that we can put ourselves into those transformational experiences and not even need, like those like decades of practice right um and so what i ask myself is like what what's the benefit then of combining the two where if you were to have a regular practice and the practice isn't meant to like put you into that state it's more to prepare you so that when you do a psychedelic you tap into that like yogic procedure and that presence while you're on the psychedelic state. And that's what I do. And it's like world of a difference than if I were to just be like, Hey, time to do some acid and then just like go off an adventure. I'm like, okay, 
I've been doing my practice for this long. I'm about to like go on this trip and I'm going to use this trip to like tap into um, what I normally can't when I do my practice. Yeah. Um, what you just said there, it makes a world of difference. That is for sure. Because ever, ever since I did go to Mexico, like three years ago, um, these like before that, like I, I would use psychedelics and I knew, I knew of their power, but I had no idea of their actual power. Um, like I would do psychedelics here and there and be like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Like, wow, this is, this is crazy. But after Mexico, man, everything changed. And I come at them with, with the respect and um, I go into it using that my, I'm ha I have that mindset of, you know, just like, I just want to learn, just show me what I need to do. And it is a world of difference. These, these experiences are just profound, deep experiences with sometimes interdimensional beings even. So actually most of the time, yeah yeah since since mexico like every time i go into an experience it's you know it's otherworldly things interacting with me which is cool it's it's intense but it's 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 awesome and what was your ibogaine experience like when um when you were down there so when I went there, I was hooked on opiates. I'm, I'm from New England. Uh, the opiate epidemic, it's still still going on e everywhere, but it was really, really bad there. And I mean, you'd be pulling up to red lights. People would be like throwing you drugs in your in your window with their phone number on it. Like it was just it was just everywhere. So I got caught up in that, hanging out with the wrong people, you know. Um, I just went through a breakup and stuff. I was holding on to that. And then I started using uh, opiates heavily at that time. And so I fly to Mexico. I'm, I'm addicted to opiates. I, I check into the Ibogaine Clinic. It's called Experience Ibogaine in Rosarito, Mexico. Um, I go there. I... I'm on like um, saline, like IV drip for like three days to just get your system ready for what, what's about to happen. Just like hydrating you and stuff. Um, Ibogaine does put a stress on your circulatory system. So you want to be nice and hydrated. You know, they make sure they give you all the new, the correct nutrients and stuff, get your body ready for what it's about to go through. Um, so the, the night of the Ibogaine is, the Native American full moon of new beginnings. It was March 19th of 2019. So that was really crazy to me. I was like, wow, this is meant to be right here. And so that night around 10 PM, we started, uh, I was up in this, like this room up in this, it's like a really nice house on the co on the coast, on the Pacific coast. Um, I, I had my own room and there was two other people in that, upstairs with me tripping as well and so i'm in there he gives me i lay down in the bed i, I am hooked up to an ekg machine because it does put a stress on your heart so they just want to make sure you're good and um i'm hooked up to the ekg so i feel you feel safe and i was just ready to go like i was ready to just leave that negativity behind and i was just in my mind, I was like, show me what I, whatever I need to see. I know this is going to get crazy, but I just want to, I'm receptive to anything tonight. And I was saying that in my mind over and over. 
So he gives me the first capsule. It's like a test dose before you get the flood dose of the Ibogaine. It's a test dose to see how your body's going to react, basically. So I get that test dose, and 15 minutes goes by, comes back, checks on me. I'm just laying in the bed, uh, gives me another capsule. I'm laying there, 15 minutes, nothing's happening. There's just a candle burning, soft music playing, African masks all up in the, in the room with me on the wall. And 15 minutes later, he gives me another one. That's the third one. And then another 15 minutes, nothing's really happening. I'm like, wow, like, when is this stuff going to happen? And 15 more minutes, he gives me the, my fourth one. Now, when he leaves, I'm like, man, it's got to be coming soon. And I look up at the, uh, in front of me where the wall meets the ceiling. It's like that 90 degree angle. Yeah. That, that line where the, where the wall meets the ceiling just went like, it like moved, like it dipped down. Like I could notice it. And I was like, okay, here we go. And I was just, he came back and I was just holding my thumb up and he was like laughing. Cause I was like, I'm good. I don't like now it's starting. So he just shut the door and left. And that's when, um, out of nowhere, this like Mayan like entity it looked it looked like he was like made of like rocks like I, I always say that when I talk about this like it, he looked like he was made of like stone he like came out of nowhere into the room with me and I'm laying in the bed and at the foot of the bed there's a window and the window had a blind pulled down and he goes behind the window and now he pulls to the left a scroll out of the window that just keeps moving like a conveyor belt at the grocery store out of the right side. He pulls another one of those. It just keeps going like a conveyor belt, the bottom of the window, same exact thing. Now from behind the window, I see a fist coming up like this and it's after the fist comes up, but it's him and he's standing up, putting his fist up and then he goes up into the ceiling. And then right then and there, he would start drawing things it past memories from my life like these are all open-eyed visuals this is happening in the room with me starts drawing all these things past memories and just like past like negative negative shit that I shouldn't have even been holding on to but I was and starts drawing all that and then each time we would get done with like reviewing a life event he would drop back behind the window same exact thing he would rise from above the window and then now at this point the ceiling turned into like stars but i just got this deep sense of knowing that each one of these stars it was every feeling thought action that i've ever done will do want to do any of that it was each each dot was one of these things so we would go there was like I was flying through that, these memories and they were just, it just looked like stars and we would get to one and this like black, like cassette type thing would scroll over to the memory. It would like bl blow it up, like select it, I guess. And then we would go into that experience. He would come from behind the window and then just start drawing it right in front of me. And that went on all night, just like that. And um, there was one part of the trip where he, 
I, I say he, I don't know what it was. It was, it was an interdimensional being, but, um, so we get to this part in the trip where it is my ex-girlfriend's face that pops up like 10, like 10, 20 times. And this like big, like eraser comes from out of nowhere erases that like whole line of pictures and then did that again popped up her face like 20 times erased it and it did this like 10 times and then after that i just knew like i was done holding on to all that past i just felt so light and um towards the end of that trip as well i saw myself as like a this like gremlin creature it was like showing me like walking down the street with like this long nasty hair and like crazy teeth and like big like claws and i was walking down the street and this big gust of wind came and like blew that version of me out of there and then right after that i just knew that all that like past stuff was gone and the trip and then i look out the i start seeing the sun come coming up and i the trip was basically done after that but it was an all night thing it went from like 10 p.m. until the sun came up. So it was it was really intense. And, you know, after that, I could like barely walk because it, it strains like your whole entire like muscles, everything. So I could like barely walk. I go to the bathroom. I urinate for like five minutes straight. Like it was crazy. Like and in my mind, I just knew like that was all the negativity and all the bad shit just leaving me right there. And then I just walked outside and just looked at the Pacific Ocean and I was talking to the doctor who actually gave me it for like an hour. And I was uh, at that point prepping for 40 hours later, which was going to be the 5-MEO DMT. Damn. Man, that's incredible. I love hearing um, these stories because it just reminds me of just like the phenomenal experiences that I've had with psychedelics and, and how healing it is. Um, and then, so it just reaffirms in me that, um, you know, this is now a kind of a commonplace thing that people are taking it upon themselves to want to have a profound healing. And, you know, and for, for you to, um, have had the synchronicity of, you know, that one night in your bedroom of having that meditation and then the inspiration to go to this clinic and to show how, um, even though it's like, you can deem it like hallucinatory and, um, you know, it, it seems like that word when it's like, oh, they're just having an hallucination. It just like demeans it. But then like you had this full on experience that you have a very clear memory of and how like profound it was for you. And you can see the effects of how profound it was just by like when you got home to where you live and then the immediate life changes, um, that you acted upon. And, and that's why for me personally, why I'm an, like an advocate for this stuff. Right. So, Um, Like, I don't personally tell people to, like, go and do those things. I just say, like, look, if if it's called to you and you know that, like, confidently that this is something that you can step forward towards and, you know, you're seeking a benefit um, out of suffering, then it is the best decision that you can make in your life because um, anytime I felt that way where... 
um, DMT just like pops up and is like, yep, you're ready to do it again. And I just go do it. I have, you know, the most profound, one of the most profound experiences, you know, that's how it was for me with ayahuasca and, um, yeah. So, so like, um, so after that experience and, um, you then were preparing for your DMT trip. What was your um, DMT trip like? Okay, so that that was a moment that I'll never forget. Um, that's why I have that tattooed right here on my hand, actually. Nice. The the Bufo Alvarius sitting on a crystal ball filled with DMT molecules. Nice. Um, so I'll, cause that's always on my right hand. So I I mean, I'm never going to forget this experience. Um, so 40 hours after the Abigail, um, I knew it was my, my time to do the DMT. It was that day. It was the, it was the day before I flew back to Florida actually. And, um, so I'm getting ready. This, uh, woman walks in very, very beautiful Mexican woman walks in. Um, she like goes into like another room. I'm sitting there and then, I go, they're like, all right, it's your, your time to, to smoke the DMT. I go into the same house. It's, it was right next door, the same house that I tripped on the Ibogaine. I went up into the same exact room and it was that woman in there and she was the DMT facilitator. And, um, so they put it in the glass, the oil burner, glass bubble. I take one really long, slow hit. And it, it is not like NN DMT where you take three hits to pass the threshold. This is very potent stuff. It's not to be taken lightly. It's a one hit is all I took. And she held my nose and counted backwards from 10 to zero. Once we hit zero, she let go of my nose and my mouth and I exhaled and I was just completely teleported to the center of everything. And it was... It was not like an NDMT where I'm contacting interdimensional beings and having things done to me. It wasn't like that. It was more of emotional um, release and just complete bliss and ecstasy. Um, you were nothing, but you were everything all at the same time. And it was just the best feeling I've ever felt from anything ever still to this date. Uh, it's just really profound. So it's basically, I, I mean, it's, it's like you die and come back to your body. That's the only explanation for it. It's so euphoric and so cleansing. Um, it just, and I just came back like, you know, and when, when I was in that experience too, a loud voice just boomed into my head it said all right do you feel what you're feeling right now you feel this feeling that's rushing through your body you can feel this for eternity but you have to do the right thing where you're at right now before you can get here so and that voice was just loud it was a external voice that was just clear as day and I just came back and I just opened my eyes and started crying for like an hour because it was the most intense beautiful experience i've ever experienced so and i just at the time i just wanted everybody to experience it and i was just like crying for over an hour just like wow this just changed my life and i knew it right there that 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 just changed my life forever so yeah it was intense 
Yeah. <clears throat> and I think why generally people are afraid of these things is that realization right there that it changed me forever. Right. Um, because when we adapt to all of our habits and we adapt to um, all the comforts that we have in our life, we think that if we do a really powerful psychedelic, that we're going to make some like radical life change and we're going to lose everything. Um, but what I've found is that like the mundane part of myself and my life like doesn't really change, you know, like I still like my family is still my family my friends. Some of my friends are still my friends. Like, yeah, maybe I, I would assume in your case, like a lot of friends, like you had to detach from, but then, you know, like you, you still have connections with your family and there's probably still some friends that are there supporting you. Um, but then like the thing that like fundamentally change changes is like your relationship with yourself in your environment. So then like how you want to go about your life changes and how you want to be of service changes. And suddenly you're having ideas of doing things that you never would have had before. And that's, that's where I, I like to like just more so communicate honor to the power of these substances because um why wouldn't you want to go through that right like knowing what you know now and like what you went through like i'm sure you're just like beyond grateful that you know you've been able to do that because you've come out of addiction um you've come out of turmoil and you see now just like how beautiful life can be um, I like to make this joke about people who um, think or say that uh, they didn't choose this life. You know, they're like, I didn't I didn't choose to be here. You know, I'm just like stuck here that um, before they became human, they were like some intergalactic criminal and that they were caught doing some like shady shit and they were sent to Earth as like a prisoner. And then they're born <laughs> into this life of like turmoil and strife. And they're like, fuck, I didn't want to be here. And it's like, they don't actually want to be there. You know what I mean? But then the people that are like, wow, life is so beautiful. It's because they like, they're the ones that like purposely came down to earth and were like, yeah, I want to be on earth. Cause I want to like do some cool shit. Right. And then like for us who like awaken into the beauty are like, Oh shit. Like, yeah, things are beautiful. And I do actually want to be here. And I do want to like, help with um just like being compassionate and loving and you know helping guide like humanity and the earth into something more pleasant than like the doom that we freaking hear about non-stop in the media and stuff you know yeah man for real i mean that's a big thing with my show i just like look guys there's other ways to get clean if you're in the same position as I was or just stuck in a rough place in your life. I mean, these things are medicines. They're here for us to use. They, they help us. Um, that's the only thing I could say about it. I mean, we're, we're meant to do these, these things and it is out there for you to find if, if you need it. And, um, yeah, it can change your life for the better too. I'm not like something special, like, Oh my God, like it, this can happen to you too, if, if you want it, you know? 
you get you gotta want it yeah exactly and and i think also um like the sincerity of the intention is helpful too where like you know there's like humility humility involved and like you're like humbled in some way you know from uh whatever turmoil was in your life and because like i will hear stories of people who just kind of do it for the sake of doing it and then it just like it doesn't turn out the way that they wanted to um and and i think that's the kind of lesson in that when you're exploring these substances is that there is an intelligence involved and it knows very well where you're coming from and why you want to have the experience and so i think the like the darker like kind of bad trips um are are around this like lesson of like okay you need to go through this first so that you really understand the power of this that like if you want something great to come out of it like you have to be prepared for it and you have to be prepared to make um, a very significant choice afterwards because um, it's really easy to just kind of willy-nilly go and do these things and come out of it and not want to change anything right so um, there's yeah there's kind of like I don't want to say a warning but like there's definitely something to consider in, um, you know, the responsibility of taking these substances, right? Because um, you, in like, inevitably, you know, you're going to kind of turn into someone that promotes healing, right? Um, and that's essentially what happened to me as well. It's like, okay, well, there's no turning back now. And, you know, I've, I've just got to continuing enjoying this like path that I'm on and uh it's shown to be more fruitful than ever before right right man right um yeah wow um yeah these things should definitely be respected I I that's the thing with the intention I go when I go into these experiences you know I definitely I clear my mind for, you know, a while before I go go into the experience, I meditate, I, I'm doing breathing, I'm just getting myself ready for what's about to happen. Um, which brings me to my next question. But the the intelligence aspect of it is what you're talking about. There is an intelligence um, involved with these substances that that do know very well, where you're coming from, they know you better than you think. Uh, this intelligence um, cares about you. It uh, definitely wants the best for you. And it's, it helps you see parts of yourself that you uh, might not be able to see otherwise. But, uh, you know, going to the ayahuasca thing, I, I haven't experienced ayahuasca yet. Um, I know you've, you've authored a book on it. Um, what could you tell us about some past ayahuasca experiences and what your book uh, details a little bit. Yeah. So I've so far I've done one ayahuasca trip that was at the beginning of 2020 in January. I went um, basically to the middle of the Amazon jungle in Brazil with a good friend of mine. Um, he knows a family out there that um, uh, the father of the family his name's Leo, 
he um makes his own ayahuasca so like him and his wife um they have been like journeying and um working with ayahuasca for like probably like over 20 years now 20 25 years and so um that was my first time and it was nothing that I would have ever expected. Um, even with the, all the times that I've done DMT, which is interesting because, um, when the ayahuasca was like first kind of kicking in, it was really similar to the, um, like, um, what is it like the NN DMT, right? Where you just start seeing the little like Fibonacci kind of like, um, patterns that start to form and, um, it was hilarious because I start seeing this and I think to myself, oh, shit, this is going to be just like DMT. I can totally handle this. This is going to be great. I can't wait. And just like how you said that this like booming voice comes in, it's like very intense presence. It's like that is comes in, but it's like very clearly ayahuasca. You know, it's like very clearly grandmother, feminine, very strong, like comes in behind me and it's like this is going to be nothing like DMT. And as soon as she says that, it just like ramps up. And, uh, we were just sitting, my friend and I were just like sitting on this, um, uh, uh, like deck. So there's like, um, they're like main, um, kind of like uh, guest living quarters. And there's like a big open deck that has the view of, uh, the sunset and the Amazon. And I just like got up and I was like, holy shit. Okay. I got to go lay down in my hammock. And it just like turned on to a like fucking maximum. It was the most intense, terrifying feeling I've ever had in my life. And, um, the level of psychedelia also where like in, when I go into the DMT world, it's like, it's moves like, you know, it's like there's constant movement. It's like almost like kaleidoscopic, but there's like, a detached sense of it when you're in the DMT world where it's happening and you're in it and um, it's like enjoyable, right? You're like, holy shit, this is fucking wild. But with ayahuasca, it's like so turbulent and it's so gut-wrenching and it's so emotional and it's so intense and it just lasts for hours, right? Um, and so... The, the most significant, um, like initial part was seeing this, um, like geometric shape called the Sri Yantra. I don't know if you know what the Sri Yantra is. Um, I do not. Yeah. So it's spelled S R I Y A N T R A. Um, crazy just side thing about the Sri Yantra. If you Google, uh, Sri Yantra in like, georgia mountains in america there's a 13 mile wide shriantra embedded in the earth in georgia like right now you can google it and wow. it's like embedded a foot into the ground perfectly perfectly like people have gone to it and surveyed it and they have no idea how it's gotten there so That's anyways, strange. um, so I see this symbol 
like kind of like up and off into the distance in my in my vision in my mind but it's like cascading a cone around me and the cone has all of that psychedelia like all of the like rainbow iridescent colors and mayan like scripture and um faces and and all the shit and um the uh and the ayahuasca was like always communicating to me. She was always like, just watch. Like, this isn't for you to like go on like some crazy UFO journey. Like my friend did, like as soon as he kicked in for him, like these two beings came and they're in a UFO and they're like, we're going, we're taking you with us. And they went off into the cosmos. And for me, it's like, I had this like thing around me and ayahuasca was like, I am, you're here to learn how I work. You're here to learn the waves of the ayahuasca and the duration of it. And it's going to be hell. And you're going to go through like immense turmoil, like and terror, right? I was just like terrorized for three hours, you know? And it was interesting because when I, when I think about it right now, Obviously, I can't emulate what I went through, right? I can only kind of return to the, like, vague memory or as clear as I can memory of it. And so right now, I could confidently say, like, yeah, I'll go do it again whenever I can. But I do clearly remember when that was happening. I was saying to myself, I'm never fucking doing this ever again. I was like, I'm this, this is it, you know, like there's no way and um but the ayahuasca would like continuously comfort me and tell me like don't worry like this isn't gonna last um this is for you to understand something about yourself and to understand the power and the potency of this medicine and what it's doing and um so it showed me these waves. And so like the first wave was just huge, like this big, huge, it was like, um, you know, it just like, uh, the acceleration into it's like climax was just immediate. And then it just plateaued and stayed at this intensity for like, who knows how long, maybe like, you know, like half an hour, an hour or something. And it finally got to the point where like, it was just, I, uh, it was just churning my stomach and I was like trying to fight vomiting and I'll, and then it finally got to the point where it like made me throw up, but I fasted that day. So I didn't have anything in my system. So I only had the ayahuasca. And when I threw up just the little bit left of ayahuasca came up and it like absorbed into my esophagus and absorbed up into my throat and then up into my brain. And I felt it like reabsorb into my spine, into my body. And right as I like threw that up my whole throat. So like from the back of my throat, all the way down to my stomach, that whole thing opened all at once, like totally involuntary. Like it was the craziest feeling. Like I felt the whole esophagus open and my stomach pumped And it like pulled up these like two solid chunks of something. I have no idea what they were. And it just like pulled it up and out and out of my mouth. Whoa. And like all of a sudden I just became sober. 
like it just like the wave crashed and I came back to myself and I looked around and I was like, oh, my God, I'm just like completely sober. And I thought, okay, this this is it. Like that was it. It's over. Right. And I like sigh in relief and I sit there for something for for a second. I'm quiet. And all of a sudden the ayahuasca comes back and she's like, no, it's far from over. Oh, get ready. And I just like feel it coming and I feel the next wave coming and I just lay back in my hammock and it's just like, boom, like skyrocket, even like twice as worse and twice as intense. And this time my whole body's on fire and I feel it in my nerves. Like I feel it under my skin. Like I'm literally like burning from the inside and I just start like internally. I'm just like kind of freaking out. I'm afraid. I'm like, what the fuck is happening to me? I'm like literally going insane. And, um, so all the while the Shriantra is still there. It's still cascading upon me. I still see like all these faces and, um, all these like colors and I'm like in and out of like fully seeing like, like three dimensional visions of who knows what, like I'm like popping into other realities and I'm like popping in physically and I'm popping back out and it's happening so rapidly and I go to have to like throw up again. So I like go to the edge of the platform, but this time I just like, nothing comes out. I just like burp. And, um, I, I have my hands on my face and I'm just like shaking. And the whole time Leo is like seated, just quietly smoking his pipe. Right. And like blowing tobacco around. And I look at him and I'm like, Leo, I cannot handle this. I literally can't handle this. Like, I'm going to go fucking insane. Like, I don't know what to do. This is actually scaring me. And um, he starts playing this music. So he's not a shaman at all. Like, he, which was kind of unfortunate. Um, I didn't have, like, that kind of traditional, you know, the setting of, like, the fire and the shaman and the drums and, and stuff. But he started playing this music, and it immediately neutralized everything. And I came back to myself and like the wave ended right then and there again. And I felt sober again. So I went back to my hammock and this time the ayahuasca comes in, but the wave isn't coming in yet. And she's like, okay, just, just so you know, there's another one coming and I just want you to be ready. But like we have some time right now and I just want to tell you what happened in your body, like why you felt that. Um, and, uh, she's like, I am now integrated into your nervous system. I'm a part of you now for the rest of your life. And don't worry. That's not like, it's not a bad thing. I'm not going to take control or I'm not going to turn on when you don't want. Just think of it as like a superpower where, um, you can use me to benefit yourself like whenever you want. Right. And she's like, so that burning was like me becoming a part of your actual like physiology. And oh, I'm just trying to remember one other thing she said. Um, and this is, this is a, this is a female type. Is it in your own voice or is it in a different voice? No, it's a different voice. Yeah, for sure. It was like okay. definitely female. And it was like a combination of auditory and telepathic. 
um, mm-hmm. more telepathic. Um, and then the next wave came and it was just like not as intense, but it was still pretty intense and it wasn't as long. Um, and um, I remember kind of sitting in the, all of that and and looking at the Shriantra and I'm like, and I see the center of the Shriantra and I'm like, okay, that's where I've got to go, right? Like that's where I know, like when I'm in my DMT trip, that's where I go and it shows me something. It's like, but this whole time I'm like held in place, like something's stopping me from going, right? It's like no matter how much I try to uh, get through it, and I say, okay, maybe I need to like call on my yoga masters and like do some chanting and, um, you know, maybe that'll help. So I'm like calling on my masters and like no one's showing up and I'm like chanting these like yoga mantras and she just laughs at me and she's like, yeah, that's not going to work. It's like, that's works when you're sober. She's like, you're in my world. Like I'm in control here. You have to just that you're not ready to go in there yet. And you just have to be where you are and just like process everything that's happening here. And that was like a super humbling moment of like accepting when I'm not ready for something, you know, and that because my tendency is to um, start or be really excited about an idea or a project or something and then just kind of go full steam into it and not knowing all the preparation that I need in order to really be successful and that was the like shining moment that was like yes you have this ability to see this you have this ability to like be shown where it is that you're going to be going but there's like, look at all the darkness underneath you. So like whenever I would look down underneath the Shriantra, there was this like deep darkness that would like try to tell me to do wild shit, like run into the jungle and shit, you know, it'd be like, oh yeah, go into the jungle. You'll be fine. Like that's where the answers are. And I'm like, yeah, fuck you. Like there's no way, you know? And, and so when that third wave ended, I just was immediately wrapped with like immense love and joy and warmth and that joy and warmth just like stayed with me for the rest of the trip. And it was just like, suddenly the waves were like smaller and more frequent and each wave showed me like all these patterns about myself and like about my family and about my friends. Like it would be like, yeah, you behave this way because of your dad. You act this way because of your brother. You say these things because of your mom. And it was just like so revealing. And um, yeah, and then um, just like with yours, how like you needed to close it right? Like how the DMT was just like the closer for it. Um, that, um, Leo has this like opening and closing kind of, um, part of it, but the closing part didn't work. And I felt like I was still in that realm and I was like still kind of being influenced by the ayahuasca even until the next morning. Um, and then I just remember like seeing the darkness it, it was like no longer this like bottomless pit. It was in the shape of like a person like there with me, like right in front of my face, like staring at me. And I remember just like looking at it, like with my eyes closed, like in my mind and just telling it it's over. Like this is done. Leave. 
and it just left. And I just like fully came back to myself and I was like, holy shit. Okay. Because, um, Leo was explaining it to us like the day before, like how important it is to close and how he knows people who haven't properly closed and they like stay in the ayahuasca realm subconsciously and it just like fucks with their life hardcore and and so once that happened there's just like immediate like clarity that was within me and it's just like this understanding of like of of presence and and like serenity is really really amazing wow that's uh that's interesting not closing property properly you can uh remain in the realm uh being influenced by that realm if you don't close the right way that's that's interesting yeah because my my friend who is with me um it was obvious to me that he like he didn't close it and the next day he just like stayed in his hammock all day and i can just see how he was just like still in it you know and like he was off somewhere and um <clears throat> i remember that night i was just like fine i was just like i was still like there's still a little bit of dis- like disorientation um and i think it's just like the body kind of rebounding from using up like a lot of serotonin and dopamine and stuff like that. But, you know, I was just like playing soccer, like with their kids and stuff like that. And he just like came up to me. He's like, man, how the fuck are you back to normal? Like, I'm like, I'm still like fucked up. Right. And I was like, man, you have to tell it to leave. I was like, you have to like really fully end it. Like, um, and I think it's because his, experience was just actually so much more profound than mine like he um was like taken by these two beings and they were on a ship and they they showed him like all of these different like past lives of his and how he was like a shaman in his like one of his most recent lives and like all this shit right and so when he came back um he was just still so attached to the story and the process. And, um, it wasn't until like, um, two days later where he finally like closed it and let it go and then felt way better. Um, cause, um, it's interesting because like when I, when I talk about the story and I like, I feel it coming up in me, you know, like, that's where I realized like what she meant by like, like I can tap into her and I haven't, I haven't done it in a way in my life where I like apply it to something yet. Cause I'm still kind of navigating what that means, but I feel, um, I've had like many opportunities to tell the story. And as soon as I bring myself back to that time, I just like, I feel it in my arms and I feel it like in my chest that like something is starting to activate and it's really, it's really neat. And it's like, it's reaffirming to me that, um, something real did happen, that it wasn't just like some crazy trip. Right. And I wasn't just like hallucinating that 
there's very much um, a physiological thing that, that had taken place. Um, and it was funny because like in the near the end of my trip, when I was like coming back to being like some like kind of sober, I was like, OK, I noticed I was like, okay, I'm coming back to myself. Um, I. Oh, I just lost my train of thought. Um, it happens, man. There's a lot going on here. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, these, uh, it, it, it is refreshing talking to somebody who's been through a, an experience like this as well. Uh, it's yeah. Sometimes when you're first uncovering these things, it can be hard to deal with, you know, cause, uh, it's so profound. I mean, this stuff isn't supposed to exist, but oh, it does exist. Um, you know, when I first started uh, experimenting, and so fast forward, this is six months after I got back from Mexico. I start experimenting with NN DMT and start going, uh, uncovering things with that. And uh, ever since the first time I've used it, I've broken through into this weird strange world that's filled with these intelligences that are just sometimes so crazy looking and it's so alien um it's yeah it's really profound and uh it can shock a person and that's what i used to say like when i first did dmt i was like oh everybody everybody needs to experience this everybody needs to do this but now I don't really say that like that, like before, like if somebody wants to try it, um, I make sure they understand like you, once you see these other realms, I mean, there's no unseeing it. It, it just like ayahuasca told you it's a part of your life forever. And I feel like that's kind of how it is with this because I mean, it's yeah. Something that I think about it every day and it's just important to talk about it just mm -hmm. like we're doing right now. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. One of the one of the things that um, so like at the end of my trip, um, I I ask ayahuasca, like, okay, what is all this, and like, how is this happening, and like, where did all this come from, and what she said to me was like confusing um because it's it's not part of the narrative of what like the indigenous say of like how ayahuasca was created right because they have their origin story of like yeah there's these original shamans and um you know they were told by the forest where to find these things um but ayahuasca was like um the indigenous didn't make it that they were taught how to make it by these advanced ancient humans who had a liquid like form of it that was like just refined and it was actually their food and that um, this like ancient human race merged psychedelics with nutrition and that they didn't have to eat food anymore and that they had this like liquid that they drank and it supplied them with everything. And it was this psychedelic and that it didn't 
it didn't produce like the hallucinogenic part of the psychedelic anymore that it put them into the DMT realm, but they weren't obscured by the psychedelia anymore and they can just operate in that DMT world clearly. And so, um, and, and what she told me is that like the first shamans were given this form of the DMT as initiates and then were shown how to make a crude form of the of the DMT liquid, which they call ayahuasca. And that her mission is to get as many people on the planet to have done ayahuasca because it plugs you into the DMT world where these advanced humans exist. And that the beings that we interact with in the DMT world aren't actually aliens. They are the ancient humans, and that's where they preside now. Because when, like, uh, and she was saying that there was like a cataclysm that happened that wiped out their civilization, and so they had to like preserve their teachings, and they basically like permanently went into the DMT world. Um, which is crazy because like a month later, I listened to the JRE podcast with, um, Graham Hancock and he's talking about his new book that he wrote detailing this like cataclysm that happened 12,800 years ago and like the potential of an advanced human race that existed that was wiped out and it just like I it clicked and I was like holy shit could it be that like not only did this like advanced human race contact um hunter and gatherers around the world that they like had this liquid form of DNT and they were going around to different civilizations or different um, hunter gatherers to see who would be the best fit to teach how this DMT would be made. And that like the Incas and the Aztecs and the Mayans were the ones that were best fit because the Amazon perfectly had the um, ingredients for it. And that has just like been racking my brain since then. And that's like basically the part of my work in my book, especially in the last two chapters, my theory that the reason why we have endogenous DMT in us is because these um, ancient humans breeded it within us, that they were the ones that like um, created these like hybrid humans and that the hybrid human is just a human that has DMT within it or a larger percentage of it because when you look at the 7.8 billion people on this planet right we're all driven to or like the modern humans we're all driven towards like advancement right like technological advancement um over the last like how many thousands of years but then when you look at uncontacted tribes like the sentinel people off of the coast of uh india They've remained the same way for thousands of years. They don't have any evolutionary inclination to even want to begin having any kind of advancement at all. So I thought, I was like, is it possible that these like uncontacted tribes have like either very little endogenous DMT or no endogenous DMT at all? And it just like they just stay in a primordial state. And it's until there's like this introduction of DMT and a higher like percentage of it that it advances our like desire for 
um, like evolution, right? So like why you and I are sitting in a house with this technology and not in a jungle somewhere, you know, being bush people, right? And it's like, could it be that like we are actually descendants of these advanced humans and that we could stem our kind of ancestry back to some humans that interacted with them at some point but it's a pretty wild theory um still working on it <laughs> yeah yeah it's a that's a that's a great one man um yeah i mean i since experimenting with these substances and seeing um the things that it does show you i mean i've really started to lean towards that as well like it's there there was a civilization our ancestors that were here that were using this stuff to contact these realms um on a regular basis probably i mean look at these these structures that they left behind we got the pyramids on every continent i mean they were tapping into something and these structures are not tombs like we've been told like these are functional structures directly linked with consciousness and uh it's yeah it's crazy man um that that reminds me so the liquid dmt thing um have you heard anything about the dmtx project out in colorado um i did hear about something or someone that they've like yeah that they've created and, and maybe i'm confusing this with something else but i thought that they created like a dmt that was like doesn't have any psychoactive properties or something or it doesn't have any hallucinogenic properties that it's just like um yeah i don't know but hang on you uh, uh you broke up there for a second what was that um I thought I read something like maybe a year ago that there are some scientists in the United States that have like created um, a DMT that doesn't have the hallucinogenic properties of it, but I might be wrong. Okay. I don't know. So the D the DMTX project, um, they've came up with this machine that is basically like an anesthesia machine. And they are gonna, they have volunteers that are already doing this. Um, basically where Rick Strassman in the nineties left off, they are intravenously infusing DMT continuously into these participants. And um, cause you know, when you, when you get into the DMT realm, it is overtaken by the psychedelia and the, it's so fast and f the fluidity of it is it's hard to grasp what you're seeing. I mean, it's definitely very important, whatever you're witnessing, it's just smoking. It brings you there instantly. Mm -hmm. So it's once you're fully enveloped in the, in that world, it's very hard to grasp what you're being shown. So the DMTX project, they said, all right, let's continuously infuse it into the, the person's bloodstream and try to keep you there for days maybe weeks or months to see if you can gain your bearings within that realm so when i hear you talking about the ancient humans doing this same thing like maybe they were they were already doing this as well and they figured out not only how to consciously teleport into the D dmt realm but physically as well mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah and that's 
like I'm, I I do my best to try to make sense of of all of that um, just because it's not only just from that experience with ayahuasca it's like just my years of, of practice and like very intense pranayama techniques that I've done and that I do that put me into altered states and then all my psychedelic experiences that um, you know the the possibility of uh, of um, engineering nutrition and psychedelics together i think is actually feasible and i remember just recently hearing something actually about that that there's like there is a project of like um uh of doing something similar in that way and so if like if i were to imagine that um humanity isn't this like long stretched out evolution from like this like single cell to what we are now but that it's like humanity is cyclic and that it's there's actually a blueprint on earth in this realm that it's um that humanity abides to this fall this like rise and fall of of consciousness and and um and humanity where we get to this like peak of, of ingenuity and peak of humanity of like advancement of spirituality and technology and, and everything. And then we fall back down into the darkest depths of like materialism and we lose all memory and everything of all that. And then we have to like climb our way back and that, um, the, that there are remnants of the last peak cycle and, and where we actually get, um, it like, somewhat of an introduction to it and somewhat of an indication of it is actually through the Mahabharata and the Vedas in, in India where they actually talk about the Yugas and the Satya Yuga and how that there were these like advanced humans from the Satya Yuga that stayed and that there's this choice when you're in the Satya Yuga to either ascend to the next level and you're like out of the earth plane and you're in the higher levels or you stay and you actually descend with humanity, but you stay as like an enlightened being. And then that's where we get like the Shivas and the Krishnas and um, the Vishnus and stuff like that. And then that's where we get like in the dark age, that's where we get like Jesus and, um, and the saints and the archangels and that these archangels were actually humans from the last, um, height like highest height of uh, humanity and and so i feel like it could be possible that like whatever is inspiring me and why i i'm putting this together is because it's possible that i have a link to that and that i am someone who is introducing this idea back into um like the collective consciousness maybe i'm not going to be the scientist who makes it up but at least if i'm talking about it and i'm writing it into books and i'm like manifesting it that it's like it's contributing into the collective consciousness and someone somewhere throughout this entire planet groups of people are also going to start having those ideas and then they're going to be in a better place to be like oh i'm like already you know like a molecular scientist and I'm going to take a look at this stuff. Right. So, um, that's at least what I've been guided to from, you know, the sources of my higher self and the work that I do with like my future self of, um, you know, why it's important for me to continue doing the work that I do. I love it, man. I love everything about it. Um, yeah, man, these ancient cultures, they just seem to, 
I mean, from what we can see, like you're saying, it's the remnants of the last like great period that we had. And I mean, if if we put our focus to some of these things that grow here on earth, on, on this plane, in this realm, if we if we put our focus more to these kind of substances, I mean, like the ancients probably did, they probably like a lot of their focus was probably involving tapping into these things and now it's kind of just like shunned away and it's been shoved away for far too long and mm -hmm. i think it's starting to starting to come back and uh bringing us to where we need to be um because yeah if we put more focus into figuring out what what is what am i being shown when i go into these experiences i think we can uh turn this whole entire thing around man and just be at the next peak like like we were in the past i agree with that man a lot yeah and you know i i've come to a realization of like um a sort of realistic sense of you know the lesson that i learned of like how i'm i'm, I'm not ready for certain things right and that like the complete ascension or advancement is a seeded idea within humanity, but like obviously humanity's not ready for it. And so um, what I've started to work with in myself is like, okay, I am going to die. There's going to be a time where I die. And so from here until then, whatever turmoil and chaos is happening in the planet, the earth wants that to happen it's happening the earth is making it happen and so it's it's not necessary for me to point blame for the players who are caught up in it that are facilitating making it happen because it's all happening through the earth that because i know i'm gonna die the best thing that i can do is continue on this like karmic path of whatever inspiration is coming through me to live the way that I'm living and to contribute to the collective of like being compassionate and loving. And that all of this is preparation for the transference that's going to happen when I die. And so as long as I see it that way, and as long as I see that I have the opportunity to get in touch with what's beyond that. And I keep course with wanting to contact what's beyond that, um, that when the time comes to fully transfer, that I'm not going to be recycled back into this game, that I'll have gained a freedom into ascending into somewhere that I would rather prefer to be. And that may be a parallel earth that is more um, peaceful and more loving. And there aren't these like reptilian elite lords who have just like um, bonded themselves to this earth and that they are, they are perpetually rebirthing themselves into it, right. To keep their power. And that's why like you hear the Rothschilds joke about like, Oh, they like marry into each, into their families. They don't, they don't marry outside of their families. Well, why do they do that? It's so that they can keep that like power structure and they can keep the souls that have like, um, committed to that in this realm, right? Where like people like us, when we're not born into those families, we actually have more freedom than they do because they can't leave. 
they're stuck here and that's why they've been in power and they will be in power and for us we have the freedom to be like you know what when i die i'm gonna be so fully aware of where i was and where i am that i'm gonna prepare myself to unlatch from this bond and this version of this earth where i decide that i've created a new vision for an earth that i would prefer and I have the power to go into that. And so when you have that realization, where the meditation comes in is that you use the meditation to put yourself in that version of that space and that version of that reality that you want to be in. And you are constructing it in your meditation realm. And so that when the time comes for you to fully um, leave your body, you leave into that place. And that's exactly what the Tibetan Book of the Dead talks about, what Buddhism talks about, yoga, Hinduism, that here is a trial. And if you can meet it and you can, like, not beat it, but you can face it and succeed, then you will then be able to transfer into the real earth, where I don't think this is the real earth. As like weird as that to say, I think this, that's why they call it a simulation. Like, I think this is just a version of what the real earth is. And what the real earth is, it's guarded because the real earth is an actual paradise. The real earth doesn't allow for turmoil and sorrow and shit like that, right? This was created so that there's the opportunity to learn and to become a master because the real earth is full of masters, right? That's where the archangels and the ascended masters are. And they keep that very gated and like protected. And so the snakes can be here and do all they want, right? And that's not to say this place isn't beautiful because it, it really, really is. But um, I've just, I really feel like I've come to a point in myself where um, that it's starting to make sense, but not in a crazy way. It's not like it's making me go insane and run around and be like, this place isn't real. It's all a simulation. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, if I cut my arm open and I hit an artery, I'm going to bleed out and I'm going to die. <laughs> That's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Right. Wow, man. That I like that a lot. Yeah. This, this seems to be some sort of yeah realm it's um a training realm i really like that for for when you go to the real earth and you know that brings brings me back to a quote i just saw it like yesterday i think it's like a timothy leary quote actually it says the most important thing a person does is die you know that's the where this is prep prepping to die it's mm -hmm. uh to, to enter that next level so yeah that just reminded me of that quote there. But yeah, man, I love it. I love it. Um, well, I think um, I think that's a good place to to end our little chat. And um, for sure, man, for sure. Yeah, we, we definitely got to do this again. Yeah, that's like, um, you know, I like to tell my guests that my podcast is like a tree and each uh, each guest is a branch. And, uh, um, as the tree grows, the branch makes more branches. And so each l extra limb is, um, you know, a new episode. And so if people, um, really like this one, you know, um, 
they can kind of follow the branch in more of our conversations and where it goes. Right. So, um, yeah, I just like, it's that idea of, of creating community and, um, yeah, so you're welcome on, uh, whenever, man, this is great. I love talking about psychedelics and spirituality and life. <laughs> That's my jam. Yeah. The, yeah. Thank you, man. Uh, that, that was a refreshing conversation. It was, uh, I felt comfortable talking to you, man. And I, we're definitely going to have to do some more shows in the future, man, for real. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I'd say, um, for each of us, maybe if you want to start, uh, just for my listeners where they can find you, if, um, you have a website and social media, um, you know, what your offerings are. Yeah, man. Um, I am a cult 45, uh, podcast available everywhere you get your podcasts. Um, I know you and I are both, uh, alt media United, uh, participants. We are both listed on that site. Uh, you can find me there, altmediaunited.com. Shout out Mark from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. Um, yeah, man, f- find me there. Uh, buzzsprout.com slash occult45 is my direct site for my podcast. And uh, yeah, man, if you want to come on my show or you want to get in touch with me, it's evandocult45 at yahoo.com. And yeah, man, let's keep uh, chatting about this weird stuff. Yeah, and I'll have um, all the links and uh, information all on my show description. Um, and for your listening listeners, Evan, um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram, yogi.zorananda. Uh, it's spelled Z-O-R-A-N-A-N-D-A. Um, likewise with my website, www.zorananda.com. Um, yeah, that's where you can find my book, my meditations, my music. Um, please look me up on spotify so i can uh get some more listeners to my music uh again zora nunda is my uh, artist name and um yeah the best way that you can support me is just to get a copy of my book i have a ebook copy for five bucks um and then i have paper book copy and hard book copy and um yeah that's it for me and where you can find me. Um, excellent, cool, man. man. Yeah, I just I just uh, followed you on Spotify. Nice. Um, I I play guitar and bass as well. Excellent. So w- next time we chat, we'll have to talk about uh, music a little more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I'm uh, open to collaborations and stuff like that too. I don't know um, what you have for recording stuff, but. Um, yeah, we can definitely talk about the whole world of music because I, yeah, I've been a musician and guitarist since I was 15. So, yeah, that'll be a great one. Cool, man. Same here. Same here. So that's that's funny. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have to talk more about that. All right, brother. Well, yeah, we'll talk soon. And uh, yeah, man, I'll, I'll catch you later. Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah, man. <laughs>